Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of this podcast. As always, I appreciate you taking time and checking out today's show. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, make sure you click subscribe. That way you never miss any of the Pursuit of Manliness audio content. And we also have video content on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you click subscribe there. If you would, leave some feedback. I always appreciate hearing from you guys. Also, make sure to connect with us Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They're all at Pursue Manliness. And go to thepursuitofmanliness.com. There you can listen to these podcast episodes. You can find out about Tribe, which registration will be opening up in about uh, a little less than a month. And we also have something in the gear section of the Pursuit of Manliness. From time to time, I have some products in there, uh, sweatshirts, t-shirts. Right now, we have one more round. It's a 12-week study for men through the life of David. You get 12 video lessons. You get 12 um, PDF files with discussion questions and some journal portions of that as well. So a great study to get connected with your men in the church, whether they're local, they're from a distance or whatever. Um, It's really built to connect men and get them talking. We have about 20 churches right now who are going through or have gone through one more round. So make sure you grab that today. So guys, on today's podcast, I get the opportunity to talk with Joel DeSherry of Commission Mankind. Joel is on fire for Jesus. And I think when you hear Joel talk about what he's doing with this mission, while you may not be getting on a plane going across the world, who knows, maybe you're just going to stay local. But regardless of whether where your heart is, when you hear Joel talk about the Great Commission and what God has done and is doing through him, I think you'll be moved as well. So men, let's meet Joel. Well, men, at this time, I want to welcome Joel DeSherry to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. Joel, thanks for being on the show, brother. It's good to be here. Hey, man, we, I know we got to talk just a little bit a few minutes ago and, uh, you know, uh, get to know each other a little bit more, and I love what you're doing. But before we get into what you're doing, would you just introduce yourself uh, to our audience, who you are, what you do, and, and, and what we, uh, why we're talking tonight? Uh, my name is Joel DeSherry. I'm from Hammond, Louisiana, and uh, I'm a father of seven beautiful children from uh, one beautiful bride. And uh, we're here because we're talking about a mission we just did in Kenya. We just got back from an eight-month trip to Kenya, and another mutual friend of ours uh, connected us, and we just wanted to share some of the wins for the kingdom. And so you mentioned you have seven kids. That um, that's 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 a handful. Um, I got three and, and sometimes it feels like seven, but a lot of times guys who've got kids, they're like, man, I just, I just don't have the margin to, to, uh, do anything mission minded. Maybe I'll serve in the children's ministry. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be the parking lot guy or I'll be at the men's breakfast. But you said, no, I'm going to do a little different. How did you, first of all, how did you get to the point where you're saying, Oh, oh we're about to do something for the people of Kenya. Well, uh, you know, my wife and I, before we were in dating, uh, 20 years ago on a hay wagon in Nebraska. I was a youth pastor up there. I met her and we were talking about what we wanted to do in life. And uh, she said she, she'd she be fine with living in a village with no power and no water and helping somewhere in Africa. And here we are 20 years later, her wish came true. But, uh, you know, God really, we served the ministry in multiple uh, levels in, in, in the church where we were here in, in Hammond and served as youth pastors. I was ordained in 2009 there. And, um, we just have always felt a heart for missions. In 2009, we began to pray and ask God to open doors. We didn't know, like, how do you go from working a job 
to just go and do missions. I mean, where do you take that step? Where do you go? You know, where do they need missionaries? So we started searching and asking these questions and we found that it was, it was quite difficult to find a starting point of, of where to get involved in missions. And that's really how Commissioning Mankind came about. In 2009, God gave us that name and we reserved the domain name. It didn't become a nonprofit until, uh, I don't know, uh, eight, nine years later. And so, but it was a prayer that we had together. And God said, look, I want you guys to go and connect the world missions uh, for my kingdom. And we felt like, well, if we're going to go and work on mapping and connecting world missions, we first need to know what it's like to serve. So we began to look for places to go serve. We looked at Belize and Haiti and some other places. We even made some trips, but none of it was panning out. You know, I've, I've still got to work and support all these kids, you know? And so, uh, and my wife was, she was getting really distressed with saying, look, why don't you just quit your job and let's just go. And I'm like, look, if God gave me a place to go, I would. And I actually told her, I said, look, if God opened the door, I will run, skip and jump through it. But I'm not running through any more walls. It don't feel good. And so uh, it, it took a long time. And, and in that time, I would say a good nine, 10 years, nine years at least, uh, we always feel like, we're missing or we're not doing what God wants us to do. But it's in that time that God is strengthening things in your life that he needs to use for the kingdom. And when, when he made the way, it was completely just, just him. I mean, cause I was at a place where I had a really good position, a good career, a, a, a good, good setup. And, and so the idea of being able to leave all of that, I mean, we were willing to, but I just didn't know how to take those steps. And so uh, my wife through a homeschoolers group, uh, met a lady that came and spoke and told of a village in Kenya that needed water. And so she came back and told me this. And I'm like, you met a lady from Kenya in Springfield, Louisiana. I mean, come on. I mean, how do you, she's really from Kenya. And she said, yeah. I said, well, you know, let's do what we do. Invite her over to eat. Let's sit down. Let's talk. I, I want to hear about this. And so uh, she came over and in that deep Kamba uh, accent uh, from Ukumbani land, she said, Joel, have you ever been thirsty and you couldn't find water? And I'm thinking, no, I mean, my heart's just like shredding inside and my stomach's hurting. And she says, imagine your children thirsty and you cannot give them water. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, I, I don't know what that's like. And I grew up in the swamps. I mean, you can't walk outside without stepping in a puddle. And so I, I don't know what it's like to be without water. Um, I said, and, and what became our model was what I replied. I said, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. <laughs> you know, we're going to figure out something. And so we just started praying and, and said, well, maybe this is an opportunity God's opening up. But I still had no way of saying, how do I leave my job and then go and raise support? A couple of weeks later, my pastor and uh, one of the, the head of the board of directors for the church asked me if they could take me out to eat. And we go sit down and they said, look, we want you to leave the company you work for and come and run a project building a church for us. I was like, I'm not gonna leave my job to work six months for y'all and then I have to go look for a job. And they said, well, you've been begging to go on the mission field forever. So we figure we'll, uh, we'll work you and you can raise support for that six months and then we'll send you out. And I said, hey, I got a place to go. We just met this lady from Kenya. And so it just one by one, it started lining up. So. You know, I, I sat down with my dad and my dad's a great man of God. He just, he really is. I can't tell you how much I look up to him. And so he met me by a job site in Baton Rouge and we sat down to eat and uh, 
And I told him what I was thinking about doing. And my dad said, look, Joel, uh, we love missions, but you are not taking my seven grandkids to Africa. <laughs> There's no way that I'm going to be okay with this. You know I mean? I'm just, this is hard. And, but we have a great relationship and we both agreed to, uh, to both pray about it. And I went home and I prayed and, I, and Joy and I, my wife, she said, she said, look, God, if this is your will, I should be able to honor you and honor my dad. I shouldn't have to dishonor my dad, who is a man of God, to honor you. And so I asked God to reveal to my dad that this was his will. You know, I highly respect my dad. Uh, but at the same time, I agreed that I would obey God, you know. And so uh, I, call, I called up the vice president, uh, and Doug Arnold knows him well. And uh, so me and, uh, me and the vice president uh, met that following week, and uh, I told him, look, this is what I'm doing. I want to leave and want to put in my notice. And you know how it is in corporate America. You, you want to leave. They say, look, we love you. You're great. Just go today because you want to leave. That's just, that's just the way it's done. He looks at me and he says, Joel, I, I'm not called to be a missionary, but obviously you are. He said, how can we help? He said, take a week and think about how you want to transition. How long do you want to keep the company truck? How long do you want to keep the gas card and insurance? He said, you take a week and figure out how we can work this out. Go do the well, come back, you still got your job. And it was like, where do you hear stuff like this? This, this, is, this just doesn't happen. So when I called my dad and I told him that, he's, he, my dad, first thing out of his mouth was, Joe, God's taking all the faith out of it. You have to go. You know, and then, so God began to, so many miracles like that where God began to answer prayers and just, when people ask, how do you get there? It's really, it's not my story, it's God's story. It's, it's obedience on our part. When you obey God and you're connected to the body of Christ, uh, you, you, visions come to pass, you know? And so God gave us a vision a long time ago about connecting these missions. And we, we painted the vision and put it above our bed. So every day when we wake up and we open our eyes, we look at this vision. And what it was, was it was, you, I see you got the stars and stripes behind you. It was like this, but it was sideways. And there was just some thick red lines and they all went different lengths and there was gaps in between them. And you know how people paint with like thick paint. And so I said, well, God, what is this? And he said, um, these are the ministries of God going out into the world. And then they come right back and they start over. And the next one goes out this far and it comes, this, it comes back. And then he took his finger and he just rubbed down the middle and just connected all of them. And he said, I'm calling you to connect the ministries of God. And so that's really the soul of what Commission Mankind is going to be in, in the years to come is we're working on a mapping system to integrate Google Maps with every missionary in the world. And we have uh, people working on a software for it right now. So, uh, but that's another story. So back to us leaving, because uh, this, this is honestly like the short term. People ask me, where you go in there, Commission Mankind was never thought of with wells in mind. It was never my idea or my wife's idea. But when God opens a door, you have to go through it. And honestly, I, I felt like I didn't know, like, that. God, this is not really missions. I'm going to do a well. I, I want to go and, and reach unreached people groups, you know? And, and God's like, no, you just want a badge that says unreached people groups. And he's like, I need to get the glory, not you. And so, I mean, the first year we went over, we went to Kenya. My wife and I went and visited a village. And we saw the kids, and you could see the complexion on their skin when their bodies just dried out. They're 10 miles from the nearest water. They're drinking polluted water from the Athi River. They're, they're dying. They're, they're getting sick. They're, um, they're not getting a good education because they, they're, 
They're not even able to go to school, some of them, because they have to carry water all day so their family can survive. And so we went there personally. My wife stayed for two weeks and I stayed for two months. Brought a, a first mate of mine, Connor, and we traveled through South Sudan, Kenya, and Tanzania. And um, so we made some really good connections. And then when we came back, we began to raise money to go. And we raised just enough money to buy tickets for our family, which is like a half a plethora of tickets. You know, we have a lot of people. We said, look, we're buying tickets. We don't have any monthly support. We have no churches committed to giving us a certain amount of month. But God told us to go. We're buying tickets. So we used all the money we raised to buy tickets. And now it's November. We're leaving in January. We have no vehicle over there. Uh, we're moving to a house with no power and no running water. And um, we're going to take public transportation four hours from Nairobi when we land there. <laughs> four days before we were leaving, uh, somebody uh, came to the church and said, hey, um, how much you need for a vehicle there? Here you go. <laughs> and I mean, you know, so we, we learned fast that when I went there, I went with the impression of, hey, God, you picked the right guy. You got Joel. He's going to get it done. You know, I'm a superintendent guy. I'm going to drop the hammer. I'm going to smash this thing for you, God. And that's, that's like really my, that was my attitude in the construction field. It was like, hey, we're going to hammer this thing out. We're going to face the problems. And that's what, that's what you do when you're superintendent project managing. You fight to get it done. And I learned fast that it was not me, but it was the way maker miracle worker. When we landed in Kenya with none of our 20 boxes that we made that had our water filter and survival gear and everything, none of them made it to Africa. So we land with nothing but our backpacks. Uh, and we have to sleep the first week on, on, on just the ground. I mean, on, on the concrete floors, getting bitten by bugs and boiling water to, to use to, to, to drink and things. And the water had maggots in it. And it, was, it was tough the first month. And I got an amazing wife and uh, she fought through it. And I have some amazing kids. And then we moved to another house and we got to focus more on the mission. But we learned that it wasn't about what we could do it was about what God could do through us. And, um, you know, our model that we had learned the day, the year before was if you will just do what you can do, there'll be a lot less that you can't. We look at really big things and we say, well, I can't do that. Well, what can you do? So we went there with the attitude of we're going to do a well in Kenya. We have no money to do a well. <laughs> the Kenyans didn't know this. They thought, you know, Hey, we're some organization that like other ones that come there and they have all of this gear and drills and, we have nothing. We came there and we said, we're coming to do a well. But we believe that we could advocate and get the government or, or nonprofits that are already in Africa to come and drill. So for five months, we, we fought for that cause and uh, unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully, the government promising us all the time that, that we're gonna, uh, they're going to help us. And we're, we're going there every day, meeting with them and just walking through these battles. And really realizing that I could not do this. It wasn't going to happen from me. And every day I would wake up and I'd pray that we would get water in Detuni. And it was just my prayer for so long. And then five months into it, you know, we're in the middle of COVID. Um, we've been doing other things. We're building a house for a widow and we're feeding people to seats out the van and people are starving because of COVID. And we're still not getting this well done, which is the main mission God sent us to do. And God gave my wife a word in Jeremiah and said, I'm about to champion your cause. And we gave the, the government a deadline and said, if you don't drill by this date, we're drilling privately. 
And when a private rig drills, drives up in that village, they're going to know y'all a bunch of lying thieves. And so I actually paid the drilling company. How much can I pay you just to come and show up? I thought it would scare the government into coming, you know, because I didn't have the money to pay the drilling company to drill. So they're like, oh, $500 and we'll come. I'm like, great, done deal. So I just, at this point, just had the drilling company lined up to show up with the drill. And I was thinking this is going to kick the government into action because the people are going to, it didn't work. So the drilling company gets there and I'm like, okay, how much if you stick your bid in the ground, you know, what happens if you start drilling? So he's like, well, it's going to be like 8,000 just to start drilling a hole. I'm like, okay, roll with it. We got this. So this guy's drilling. We don't have any of the money to pay for it. I mean, it ended up costing almost 30 grand. And uh, we had like seven grand saved up at that point, but that was going to be like some water towers. And we thought the government would do the drilling. So we just pulled that money from the water towers to, hey, look, we're just going to put the hole in the ground. And we really didn't know where it would go from there. And a friend started a, um, a Facebook fundraiser and people gave in a couple of weeks, we had 25,000. And uh, so we drilled it privately, 200 meters down, the deepest well in that region. Um, Cause we hit water at 150 meters, but it wasn't like the, the best flowing water. The, the, the geologist said, Hey, look, if we can get down to smooth rocks, we were checking the rocks. He said, um, uh, it'll be water forever. It'll be a natural aquifer. So I told him, I said, hey, stick every bit in there. Now, this is going to cost a third more than, than the money that we already don't have. <laughs> I was like, go ahead with it, man. Go ahead with it. So we drilled over 640 feet down through volcanic rock the whole way, no clays, and just water bursting out. People in the village amazed. Actually, when we, when we first hit the water, they hooked up a test pump, and they called us at 1 o'clock in the morning when they first started test, test pumping the water out the pipe all the people in the village came out and they wouldn't let any of the water touch the ground. Now this is just the water that they're test pumping to, to see the head height and stuff. They wouldn't let a drop touch the ground. The women were lined up from one o'clock in the morning, filling up every jug they could. And you know, it just became real that in that area, people don't do anything at night. I mean, there's no lights, there's no power. I mean, it's just life shuts down when it gets dark. And so to have them there all night sitting by that well, it became real that, Hey, this is, this is life and death for them. So we, we put the best pump money could buy. If God's going to give money away, we're going to go ahead and do it right, you know? So we put a Grunfos pump. It's like six-foot stainless steel pipe. Um, we put um, uh, steel casing the whole way down, 18 330-watt solar panels, uh, distribution, built a big baptism. Uh, we worked on distribution for a while, but all of that stuff happened, and people are still like, well, Joel, are you a missionary, or, or are you just like a humanitarian aid guy? I'm like, Look, I'm going to obey what the, the Lord tells me to do, guy, and it's up to him or it's up to you, whatever you want to call it. But I really believe God is looking for a generation to just obey, and, and he wants to get the glory. And it never looks right to man when you obey. And if it does look right, it's probably man's plan and not God's anyway. I mean, when, when God told Joshua to go to the walls of Jericho, we read that story all the time, and it seems so simple. But if you were one of the guards that, that worked for Joshua, and he's like, you want us to carry a trumpet and walk around these walls? Come on. I'm like, look, Joshua, we, we could use the exercise. We'll walk around the wall for seven days. But after that, we're going to like have to come to Jesus meetings. <laughs> we're going to have to work this thing out because it doesn't always seem right when God says to obey. And, uh, you know, so I went there thinking I was going to do something. And I think God sent me there knowing he was going to do something in my own life, you know. And so I learned a lot. And now we 
once we got water, I woke up the next morning. I didn't know what to pray. I prayed for so long. Hey, God, uh, you know, we need water in the tunie. So my prayer began, God, give us vision for next step. And God said, I want you to go forward. In eight months over there, we never found one organization. We never met another American or, or, or foreigner in that whole region that was there to help them get water. There's no resources. There's no tourism. There's no reason for anyone to help the people in Ukumbani land. So there's 42 tribes in, in Kenya, and uh, the, the, the Pamba tribe is one that doesn't get recognized a lot. It's a very dry region, and uh, they need some help. The river is much more polluted than it used to be. And so we don't feel like we could walk away from what we've seen there and find something, some place that needs help more. When even just riding a dirt bike from my house to the village, I got to pass kids digging holes in the ground and drinking water out of a ditch every day. And when you see that every day, you can't go anywhere in that land and not see people carrying old yellow jugs, walking with water for miles and miles in a desert. And so we, we're asking God to provide five wells go back in March and when we get there in March we want to start drilling and then just host church groups from all over maybe Indiana or anywhere that would like to come and be a part of missions on the front lines I sat with so many pastors and I'm like how many missionaries have you sent out and they're like we love missions I was like great let's get back to the question how many missionaries you sent out how many people in your church are are asking you how did they get to the mission field and if they're not asking you that what are you preaching <laughs> you know and so uh we want to make it easy for people to get to the front lines. So God told me don't take a cut off his money. So if people come, we tell you how much it costs, it's your money. We're not gonna, God's gonna provide our needs, but you get a chance to come to the front lines. You get to pray with people, you get to preach the gospel, baptize some people, do children's ministry, whatever, whatever your passion is, we wanna connect you to the front lines. So we're gonna go in March and pray that, that people come and join, join with us in the cause. And all we need is God to provide like $200,000 between now and then. And that's like nothing for him. <laughs> he owns it all, man. So, um, that's right. You know, I love the work. I love your, your, your passion to tell the story. I think there's a lot of people, especially men I, that I know who have a stirring in their heart that they want to do something bigger than themselves. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. If you go to your work and you're like, this is mundane, you know, you, you could hire a, a toddler to, you know, I mean, uh, not to, but you just go, man, I'm not being challenged. I'm not, I, I want to go way back to your story where you talk about this stirring taking place, you know, in you and you had to wait eight, nine, 10 years. We don't wait well. I was telling someone last night about Moses 40 years waiting until, you know, he got called back to Egypt. Joseph has to wait in, you know, in Potiphar's house and he waits in the well. And there's a lot of waiting in scripture. You call that Bible time. God has all the time in the world. So for you and your wife and whatever, however many kids you had at that point, what was the waiting like before you met this woman for from Kenya at dinner? Like you had a stirring and of course you want to do it right now. I'm sure. Cause most of us do like, we, we get the stirring from God, and before we say amen, we already got three ideas of how we're going to make it reality, but God is preparing you in the waiting. He's preparing your home. Heck, he's preparing the people in Kenya that you're not even aware of at this point. So what's the waiting like for you as you had this stirring and this angst of like, I want to do something great for God, but he ain't moving us yet? It's uh. It's not easy. You know, uh, I don't know if you ever remember that little story about push where God told a man to push against the stone and he pushed and pushed and pushed. And he said, and every day he was trying to move it and he couldn't move it. And for a long time he pushed and long story short, he gets back to God. He said, God, look, I've been pushing on this stone for seven years and I haven't moved it. And God said, I never actually moved the stone. 
I just asked you to push against it. So look at your muscles and your back and your legs. You know, we never see exactly what God is doing when he's telling us to do something. So it wasn't easy. I got to be honest with you. It was not easy at all to walk through that time because here I am. I'm working a job that I know that my calling is not going to be. And I'm, I'm knowing that, like, I don't want to disappoint anybody that I'm working for. I'm doing my best every day. And, and I was diligent at the work that I did. Um, but I'm knowing that at some point, God's going to pull me out of this. Um, and I'm not saying that's for everybody, but if you know your calling and that, that, that passion, that drive is in you, then God's going to make it happen in his timing. All I can tell you is that it has to be him. I have people that have gotten into missions that, that God didn't give them a place and they want to go anyway. And I'm like, look, man, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you should, you should wait because when God sets it up, we honestly knew we were held up by prayers. We honestly knew we didn't have anything else to hold on to. But that time, uh, that time was hard because you try to find ways to make it happen because you're always going to gravitate towards what your calling is. And so uh, I can't say that it's easy to walk through that time, but you know, even when Joseph had his dream in the very beginning, not only did his brother say it was crazy, but even his dad, the man of God said, that's a crazy dream. So, you know, everyone in his life said it was crazy. And honestly, if God would have told Joseph what it was going to take, to get to the palace, Joseph would have probably said, that's a crazy idea, God. I'm not down with that. So you got to think that if God would have told me what it was going to take to get to Kenya, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. Same way Joseph did. But there was things that had to be walked out to get there. So my only advice is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Reflect the faith of God in everything you do. And don't wait till you get to the mission field to live as a missionary. You know, God taught me one thing there. He said, it's one thing to do something, another thing to do it in love. And for me as a, as a project manager and running a job site, you don't have to do it in love. It's construction. You just have to get it done. But in the kingdom, you have to do it in love. You're leaving a trail every day. And those nine years before we got to the mission field, Joel was leaving a trail. No matter what I say, I was leaving a trail. And so, you don't start making a trail when you go to the mission field. You're making that trail every day. And is that trail a trail of love? Is it a trail of reflect, reflecting the face of God? Or is it, is it a trail of you and what you can do, you know? Yeah, I used to do children's and youth ministry. and It would be at youth events, and youth would get fired up for Jesus, and they're going to be missionaries, and they're going to, you know, hey, that's great. Let's let's talk about this. And then you need vacation Bible school workers and none of them can do it. They can't make it, but they want to go to Kenya. They want to go to Ghana. They want to go to, maybe you try serving in your own backyard for a minute. Maybe, you know, listen, God has wired people to, for the mission field, but we are living in a mission field wherever he's planted you. So for some people it is go overseas. For some people it is local, but it's still the same mission. And it is to make disciples of all nations. That is a non-negotiable, as you know, for you know, commission mankind as a non-negotiable for Christians. So the gospel's needed here. You know, in America, people ask me, "Is the gospel was it, the gospel <laughs> needed in Kenya?" I said, "Well, is the gospel needed in America?" I mean, yes. the problems that you're, we're facing today and all of these politics and everything. When you take a view from outside and you're in Africa and you're looking at America and you're seeing these things, it's a hard issue. Everybody's fighting on the outside. They're like Peter cutting the ear off. I got your back, Jesus, and God. Jesus is like, "No, I don't need you to get my back." Should I not drink this cup? But people vote with their heart. If you want their heart to change, 
Bring them the gospel. It's the only thing that can change the heart. Your memes on Facebook can't change anyone's heart. You know, the only thing I tell people I can do in life is get people to the Sadie Hawkins dance with Jesus. If they don't dance with Jesus, that's, it's useless. There's nothing I can do for them. But we got to open the door for them to dance with Jesus. But I think the gospel is needed in America just as much as it's needed in Kenya, if not more. Because the gospel is the saving grace of Jesus Christ with the power to change people's hearts. Not church, not messages. It's the gospel is the only thing that can change the heart of a man. So I agree with you that it's absolutely needed here. Well, we bought into the lie that our, our Christianity is four walls on Sunday, that it's a couple hours or it's, you know, now it's on watching an online stream or whatever. Um, as you said, it, it is a hard, love God, love your neighbor. And then you do that every day. Um, I, I think in that, that's where God prepares your heart to say, man, I, now I can love my neighbor across the sea or I can live my love. If you can't love your neighbor across the street, you probably can't love your neighbor in a different continent. Um, yes, the mission is different, but it's, we're still humans. We're still, you know, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against, you know, the evil one is seeking to destroy all of us. And so um, I, I think people can hear your story or see what you're doing and, and, and have this fairy tale idea that, Oh, that's, you know, that the mission is, crying out loud in your house for most for most guys like what be the pastor of your house um yeah let me say something about that yeah the pastor of your house because god spoke to me this a long time ago he said joel you will never have a ministry outside of your family your family you'll never you'll never be able to give out more than you feel like you're saved when people want me to come teach on evangelism or something it's like hey listen i can teach all i want but if people aren't coming here feeling like they're so saved then if they tell anybody else, it's not going to be convincing. But the same way with your home, you can never have a ministry outside your home. You know what God told me? He said, Joel, when you get up to the judgment seat and you stand before me, the first thing I'm going to ask you about is the seven talents of children I gave you and the jewel of a wife I gave you. That's the first things he's going to ask me about. Before I can go and say, hey, I went to Kenya and I drilled a well, God's going to say, hey, what about these seven talents of children I gave you? So yes, and that's a big part of it is the, is the kids. And you know, some people, like you said, when we opened up, said, hey, how do you take a family that big? You know, is this irresponsible? Serving God is absolutely irresponsible. I don't argue with it at all. <laughs> but the responsibility lies in him when he called me to equip me to do his work. I even had somebody tell me, hey, you're not qualified to be a missionary. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, I'm absolutely not qualified, but I'm called. And God has to qualify me if I'm called. And so, yeah, the family has to be number one, and you have to make efforts. We would be on a mission field, and I'd have to take a couple of days and say, we're turning the phones off. I'm not going to go anywhere. We're going to work on some issues in our family. You know, you homeschooling seven kids over there, and it's, it's, a it's tough. You know, they're away from all their friends. So you got to watch how they're reacting to things. you gotta, you got to work hard to relate to your kids because – they're not always going to relate to the things you enjoy. So you got to find a way to connect with each one. And it, it takes, it takes some effort. And as a father, I, I really try to put a lot of effort into making that connection with each kid. And that takes, that takes effort every day. You talk about this, this calling. And, and I was text, texting with a good friend today who's, who's wrestling with some ministry. And he said, you know, I just don't feel, feel qualified. And I said, it's the shepherd versus the hired hand. The guy who's called, he can endure over time. The hired hand, he's got about 18 months in him. Once that new car smell, smell was off, he's, he's gone. So 
for you, you, for you, you said, man, I, I feel called and I've been affirming this call for an extended period of time here. My wife feels the call. My kids are going to feel it. You know, it's gonna be a part of it. What's the affirming process to this call where you wake up some days and go, we're looking for water in Kenya or we're, we're here. Like here, here's this guy living in Southern Louisiana. Now I'm, now I'm living on, now I'm, now I'm waking up on a dirt floor. Um, people in a completely different world that I never thought I would interact with. How, how does that, how is that affirmed in your life as you keep going forward with this ministry? Um, you know, there's a certain level that your faith grows when you, when you have to fully rely on God and, and, and you know, me as a, as a man, you, you want to provide for your family. And I've always carried that burden of providing for a large family. So to, to hand that over to God and to say that I'm going to entrust that to you, that was a hard changing of the guard for me because I, part of me is like, it's irresponsible to rely on others for money to go do this, but yet this is my calling. So that was a hard part, but, but getting to Kenya, it's almost like you get uh, in this uh, war zone battlefield mentality where you're in survival mode. And so you, you got to make fast decisions. I'm not going to say Nairobi is the safest place. The village was very safe, but Nairobi has a lot of dangers. And I was having to make a lot of trips there to get paperwork finalized on vehicles and things. And, and it was hard. So I had to rely on walking in the Holy Spirit daily. There was, there was a part of me that had to rise up to say, don't rely on yourself for any of this, but rely on God. So, but the, the icing on the cake for me was that the vision that God gave us with that map, with, I mean, with the, the painting and connecting the ministries, I knew that we're doing this part as part of our calling to, to be able to relate to missionaries in the future when we're connected to them and to be able to sit down with like Dr. Charles Mooley from Mooley Children's Families. He rescued over 15,000 orphans from the, um, the ghetto, the, the, the slums over there and to sit down with him and bring John Dewitt, uh, a, a Sudanese, uh, you know, child of war who started an orphanage with 500 kids in South Sudan and sit them in the same room together and hear them talk about vision and then offer to send Muli to visit his ministry. And when I first started seeing those connections happening, which was what God told us he was going to do, for me, that was the biggest affirming because he told me this was what I was called to do. So when we see something happen in your calling, it just gets exciting. It gets very exciting. So that, that for me, when I saw those connections happening, and I could see this thing building to what God wants it to be maybe two years down the line. I said, hey, we can endure this. We can, we can do this. But there was still such a part of me that wanted to prove that I'm a missionary. Here I am. I'm in Africa. And I'm doing a well. And I'm getting asked by people all the time, well, are you reaching unreached people? Or are you preaching the gospel? Or are you starting a school there? Are you going to open churches? And I said, you know, we're going to build up the pastors that are here there's already churches in the area. We're going to encourage them and speak into their lives. I actually rebuked 12 pastors and five came back to me and repented. And, you know, you don't have to start over new and do everything like the American way. Actually, the churches there get along. The, the Baptist pastor called the, the priest from the Catholic church to come out to the uh, to an event. And I'm like, would you, would you ever imagine that happen in the U S <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, just like these, these walls and these things that we have here, it's different there. They all sing, you can hear the songs being sung on Sunday morning outside of the churches and they're all singing the same songs and the Anglican, the, the African brotherhood, the Baptist, the Catholic, all of them are singing the same songs. So uh, it was, 
I didn't go there to change your way of life. I just went there to obey God, you know, and there was a one part of the baptism that really changed my life the most. Uh, you got like two minutes. Brother, I got all the time you need, man. Go ahead. <laughs> this, this, I, I want to tell you this story because it, it really, uh, it really, it really was a changing point in my life. So, so I decided we were going to build a baptism next to the well instead of at a church so that when people came to get baptized, they get baptized in the town center on public property. And every church that wanted to baptize, they don't have water at their churches. So here was a spot where they could have water, they could have baptism, it has steps, it's really pretty. My kids painted it. And so we also put a giant stone that says, Mispa, may the Lord keep watch between us. It's a place where people came to consecrate themselves to God when, um, uh, when Samuel uh, rebuked the children of Israel to repent. And so I shared that message and preached the gospel and I had planned to baptize. We had all kinds of people signed up for months. They wanted to be baptized. I'm not baptized to be a priest of the gospel. I want you to understand. But over there, baptism is so important. And I learned this later on that your baptism certificate is what you use for an ID. It's, um, it's what, um, give us some water. It's a paper that, a document that they carry around forever with them. And so they were really wanting to change their names and get baptized in this thing, but I didn't know if they really knew the gospel and I wanted to see them saved. So we plan this thing. We buy a bull, they slaughter it. They're cooking the food for the whole village. We got 200 people out there and we have pastors from all around. I got friends from Nairobi came and we're going to preach the gospel. And this whole time I'm doing this well, what I'm seeing is people coming up out the water, being set free from disease, set free from mental torment, demons, everything. I just saw people rising about this water. And so I even had pastors ask me, hey, can you get some good footage of people coming out the water from the baptism? So man, my, my son and I, we ride the dirt bikes out to the village early. We're boiling water in this giant like witch pot from four o'clock in the morning to heat up water to pour into the thing so people aren't freezing. And so we got all of this thing planned. And right before it's time for me to preach, these 12 pastors come up to me and said, hey, look, we're not going to baptize today. And I was like, what? And they said, uh, government said, president said no baptisms uh, because of COVID. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we don't feel like it's, you know, it's, we could get arrested. I was like, you know, there's no police within four hours of this village. Y'all are self-governed. I've never seen a police officer down these dirt roads. Like, yeah, but word could get out and then we get arrested. I said, good. <laughs> so what? We get arrested. I mean, for the kingdom, for baptizing? That's like the best thing to get arrested for. And so anyway, I was just really upset. And someone said, you know, well, the Bible says that we should um, obey the governing authorities in Rome, Romans, you know. So I went, walk, I just walked away. I was so upset. I was so heartbroken. And I was like, I worked so hard for this. My motivation for doing all of this work with the well was that I would finally be able to prove to everybody I was a missionary when I baptized them. So we set up the GoPro cameras and we had different angled shots and we had it all planned out. We painted Commission Mankind on the front of the baptism. You know, we had everything ready. And I walked off and I went and sat under this acacia tree and you ever just sit down and you came and talk, you're so aggravated. I just sat there and I'm like, what am I going to do, God? I can't really punch that guy in the throat because it wouldn't be right, but I really want to. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so, and God just like left me to myself in that moment. You know how he does that. Sometimes he expects that, that you walk in the spirit with him and you don't walk away from the spirit. So I was really, I had a 
really strong decision to make. Am I going to baptize these people? They want to get baptized. Or am I going to honor the pastors? So I walked back over to the, where the pastors were. They had been looking for me. <laughs> I disappeared for a while. And I walked back over there and I, and I said, listen, I said, first of all, I said, I want to tell you that, let me ask you this. If y'all didn't baptize for six months, what if it becomes a year or two years? What if your kids ask, dad, why y'all don't baptize anymore? And they said, oh, well, we would never do that. And I said, so disobeying Jesus for six months is okay, but a year is not okay. I was like, what's the limit to how long we disobey Jesus? And I said, Jesus only said to do three things when he left the earth. Uh, to preach the gospel, to uh, go into all, make disciples, and to baptize people in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I said, y'all just threw away one third of what Jesus said to do. And y'all are okay with that. And I said, you know, let me ask you this about obeying the governing authorities. When they brought the apostles before the Sanhedrin and they said, we told you to stop preaching this gospel. What did they tell the Sanhedrin? They said, we will obey God and not man. I said, you know, and, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples would have came over here. I said, I'm sorry, but the government cannot stop us. They said, well, what if you go in that water and you get sick, Joel? I said, you asking me if I'm going to get sick, all of you pastors who rode on the back of a dirt bike with a random person who's been riding people all over the village all day, hugging a guy that you don't even know, you think that I put my hand in that baptism on somebody's head and I'm going to get sick. I said, you could dump a vial of COVID in there and I'd cannonball into it and baptize all day and I'd never get sick because I'm obeying what God told me to do. But I said, I'm going to tell you this, I'm not going to baptize because I don't want to teach the people in this village to disrespect you. Because when I leave, you're the only leadership they have, and they need to learn from you. But I think you all need to repent and obey God and find a way to baptize. And even if you go to the government and say, we can't just not baptize. I mean, we said that Muslims couldn't wear turbans in, in, in court, and they appealed it, and now they can. And so I'm like, y'all didn't even appeal to the government in six months to do? So what about all the people that needed to be baptized, that needed to come out of that water wet? and make that decision in front of their friends, which is supposed to be a public declaration to say that I'm a new person. What about all those people that wanted that? And so I preached the gospel. We prayed. A lot of people gave their life to Christ. And I went back home mad, <laughs> very mad. And um, just really hurt. Like, how am I gonna prove I'm a missionary now? <laughs> you know, I mean, I came over here, I did this well. I didn't save any unreached people groups. I didn't even baptize anybody. And now I'm supposed to prove I'm a missionary. How? You know, I'm just, I failed at this. I worked so hard for this. God, I worked so hard. And, I, and so the next morning I got up and I rode my dirt bike all the way to the village. It's about 45 minutes with my Bible rubber tie, tied to the back of the dirt bike. And I went and sat by the Athi River and, um, I sat, which the river is down a couple of miles from the village, and that's where the people had been getting their polluted water. And I, I sat down just on like a little hill next to the river, and I got my Bible, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like turning the pages. I'm about to tear the page, those little skinny pages out the Bible. I'm so aggravated. Can't even read. And so I'm just sitting there aggravated, and God's like, why are you so upset? <laughs> really, God? I mean, come on. Why am I so upset? You know why I'm so upset. I mean, nothing worked that I worked on so hard. None of it worked, God. What do you mean? Why am I so upset? And God said, what do you see? And I'm like, nothing. I don't see nothing. God said, what do you see, Joe? I said, I don't see anything, God. I'm just frustrated. God said again, he said, what do you see? 
I said, God, I don't see nothing, a beach and some water. And he said, where are the people? He said, that place used to be full of people drinking that polluted water. He said, I just began to cry because it was like, I got a dirt bike and I started riding back up that mountain. And when I, when I got to where I could see the top, it was like, you just see all the ox carts in the village and they just had all of this water there. And he said, Joe, he said, you did what I told you to do. And the people have water and they're going to live now because you got them water. He said, I was going to let you baptize, but I thought you were going to get the glory. So I pulled the plug. He said, but what I, what the baptisms were your idea. He said, but the well was what I told you to do. I told you to get these people water and you got these people water. And so I think that we need to learn to be okay with just obeying God. It's, it's his glory. It's his plan. He's got a, he's got a plan for it. And I didn't see I wasn't going to be the one that was going to harvest everything. I wasn't going to be the one that was going to get to do the part that I thought was always the best looking in church. And I'm like, I didn't get to be that person. And God's like, you're just part of the plan, Joel. And that part of the plan was so important. Nobody else could do it. I sent you to do it. And that's what you needed to do. And I was okay with that. I was really okay at that point when God told me, what do you see? And I saw the people get in the water. I knew that I could go back and say, I obey God. The next week, five of the pastors called me up and repented to me. One of them, he's in the middle of his service, he put the microphone behind his back and said, we're going down to the river to baptize tomorrow and Joel's gonna baptize all y'all, sign a paper. And so we baptized like 40 people down by the river. We walked way to the side where nobody could see and we couldn't do it Facebook Live. And you know, we kind of had to, but I did the baptism so the pastor wouldn't get in trouble. And, and one of the people that got, the pastor came to and told us a story. He said, one of the, one of these boys came to me in the village and, and he was crying. He was so upset because he wanted to get baptized when I preached. And they said, I wanted to change my name to Joel. And I want to go and dig a well in another country for a village like was done here. And so I got to baptize Joel and change his name and sign his paper and all. But the heart that he wants to be a missionary now and not even asking to do it in his land. He wants to leave Kenya and go to another country to help them because he felt what it was like to be changed by water, how much it affected his life. And so I, I don't know how many people got saved. I don't know how big of an effect I had for the kingdom, but I know I obey God. And uh, I'm okay with that now. I was mad at it for a while, but I'm okay with it now. And, and I think that it's just a pride issue in my life. God wants to take, and we have some plans to work with unreached people groups in Tanzania. We're going to be reaching the Hezbani tribe. We're planning on making trips there next year. And so we, we're working with some, some, some things that are going to be really exciting. It's going to be like take a donkey and a backpack and go for a week into the wilderness kind of trips, you know. It's not like when I bring all the kids on, but they'll be home safe. And, but be willing to obey God and what he tells you to do and know that his, he's got a plan for it, you know. even if you, he, does, he definitely doesn't want you to get the glory. He said, Joel, I didn't want you to get the glory because if you get the glory, you get the judgment. He said, but if I get the glory, I, get the, I take the judgment for you. And so I'm like, okay, God, you take the glory because I definitely don't want the judgment. <laughs> yeah, we tell guys, you know, you pursue obedience, God will take care of the outcome. Just be obedient. One day at a time, next sure. thing, next thing. Joel, I know you got a lot of stuff happening. I've um, 
you know, been on your site, social media, et cetera. If there's guys listening to this who say, you know, I want to get involved. I want to support. I want to buy some merchandise. I want to know the next time you're baptizing people. How do we get connected to you, your, your ministry, what you're doing? Where, where do we go? Uh, www.commissionmankind.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and uh, YouTube under, and Instagram under Commission Mankind. Most of the stuff, the live videos and all, were on Facebook because we could, we could do live videos instantly without having to upload because we never had – I never updated an app in eight months because <laughs> you never have Wi-Fi, but you have some cell coverage. So uh, just unfortunately for people that don't have Facebook, it really became the best tool for us to do videos. But if you want to contact us, you can contact us through the website, but also info at commissionmankind.com is the uh, email address that I check it personally. And I would love to come share with different churches in this season. God's been speaking vision. My wife and I are up at night just writing down vision, vision, vision. God's just giving us so many words right now. So I know that he's called me to, to speak vision. I actually just turned down a really good job offer uh, this week that well over six figures, nice job. And, and we had to pray about it. And God said, no, I want you going forward and campaigning for this, this thing. And so it was, it was like, God made it clear that he doesn't want me to stop, but to continue to go forward in this. So where that takes us, I don't know, because um, we're, we rely, we rely 100% on monthly donations from individuals. Uh, there's a donor box thing on commission mankind site. And it's also on Facebook and other ways to give. Even through your local church, they can send it to Commission Mankind. Uh, but we've never, in eight months, we never had to ask people for money because we just asked them for money for projects, but God always provided for us. So mm -hmm. even in this season where we're uncertain and a lot of support has been dropping off because people are losing money, God is saying to go forward with missions. At this time in the world, more people are, are populating heaven and hell than ever before. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we should stop the work of the gospel, there's no argument that more people are populating heaven and hell right now than ever before. And every missions organization I talk to is shut down. And I'm like, look, we got to go forward. Mm -hmm. God has spoken to us to go forward. So if you want to come between March and June next year, you know, save up about 3,500 bucks to cover the tickets and travel and everything. And we'll house you and we'll put you in the front lines and, let you eat some uh, yamachoma, roast goat, and other things over there in Kenya. You'll lose some weight. <laughs> if meat, meat's very lean. I lost 30 pounds this trip. Last year, I lost 40 pounds. But uh, I put it on quickly when I come back and start eating crawfish bisque and fresh sausage and stuff. It's no problem. But you lose weight over there. But um, we want to come and share and just encourage people in their callings because we know what it's like to be in that season. And my wife and I both walked through that. It, it was, it's hard knowing what you're called to do and waiting for God to launch you. But when I look at it all, there's absolutely no way I could have ever in a million years made it happen. It was only God, you know, it was only God and every step of the way it was God. And so your faith grows when God comes through for you. If you don't give him a chance to come through for you, your faith stays the same. You know, I think if one generation would, would, would look to God and not to man, I think every church would look the same on the inside. And I honestly believe that that revival is going to be man looking to God. And just like Jesus told the Samaritan woman, he said, there's going to come a time when you don't worship on the mountain or in Jerusalem, but you worship in your heart. And I think that uh, that we represent in the Father and being connected with him will really bring us together as, uh, than, more than ever before. And that's the thing is that we never launched out of like this one church. We're, we're supported by many different churches and everybody's like asking me, well, 
what denomination and what this, the, <laughs> of course. With, I, I'm like Paul. I would, I would have not baptized any of y'all fools just knowing Jesus. So we're not launched out of one single church. I have Catholic friends that support me. I have atheist friends that support what we do. But we're, we believe that uh, a lot of people are going to be surprised when they get to heaven and see who their neighbor is. <laughs> what? You made it? Well, someone asked me about <laughs> pursuit of manliness. Are you this or that, whatever? I'm kind of like John the Baptist. You know, just let it rip. You're going to do it a little different than other people do it. And just, you know, but you talk about that woman at the well. I know we're winding down here, but, um, you know, Jesus gave her living water. So I'm going to give you something that you'll never thirst again. And she said, sir, tell me where to get this water. And, and I know you're using literal water because we all, it's very tangible for us. But as you just, you know, have shared with us, Joel, you're giving them living water that their soul will never thirst again. And that what that woman did when she encountered that living water was went and got everybody in the city. And they said, right. we don't just believe because you told us we now believe because we've heard for ourselves. And that's the greatest thing when you hear for yourself and you can make that decision to say, I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I'm going to the waters of baptism. I want that spirit that raised him from the dead to raise me from the dead. I've been given the gift of immortality. You're indestructible. Right. You're indestructible, brother. <laughs> that's, hey, that's right. All the people came, and that's when Jesus started talking about the harvest, you know, and if you think about it, he kept saying what to pray for. He said, pray for harvesters. What, what business model has more people in the corporate office than they do have workers in the field? Find a business model that has that. It wouldn't make a profit. You know what the profit for the kingdom is? Souls. We need more harvesters. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it because Jesus said it, and it's still true. <laughs> but that's every day. It's not just in Kenya. It's every day. You know, being a missionary in Kenya is no different than being a missionary in Hammond, Louisiana. It doesn't take a, a big stage and a big performance or anything it's how you live every day with the people you're around that's the only way we shared the gospel when we we're there it was the people that came to our house people we sat with the pastors we met it's an everyday thing so i don't think being a missionary in kenya is any different than being a missionary here except that you have a lot more amenities here just gotta be obedient man so joel thank you brother i appreciate that i'll put links uh, where you're watching this on YouTube. I will say this, if you're watching this on YouTube, I told Joel in the beginning, I don't often have beard envy when I interview people. I usually have the upper hand, uh, but Joel's got me. It looks good. He's got a good beard going. I appreciate that. Joel, thank you for making time. Appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom. And I'm glad that we're, we're on the same team, brother. Amen. Once again, men, thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. If you're looking in the notes section of this podcast, you can find out more about Joel, how to get connected to what he's doing and stay uh, in tune with what he's doing with Commission Mankind. Also, make sure to check us out at thepursuitofmanliness.com or go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Pursuit of Manliness. There you can get connected to men, about 3,000 men all across the country including Joel. So guys, thanks for listening and let's keep pursuing biblical manliness. Mm -hmm.